This is an SM Media production. Hi folks and welcome to the latest episode of Chronicle the Rangers Journey right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. We are now at episode 7, what happened in 1999, where off the back of a treble, Dick Advocat was was looking to advance in Europe and as well dominate domestically. But as we know, it it starts well, it starts brilliantly. Obviously 1999-2000 is a terrific season, but... The millennium sees the downturn, and we will get into that with our special guest today. It's a delight to welcome Scott Kerr onto the show. Scott, welcome. It's a pleasure. No problem, mate. Thanks for inviting me on. It's I an appreciate absolute pleasure. It. I appreciate it. Looking forward to this. Going through the, it's safe to say this goes into this starts brilliantly. It's like a roller coaster, isn't it? It starts at the, the apex at the top, and then just takes a downturn. It does, and I think when they came in, obviously they came in at a time when Malta left and a lot of players left. Because after we beat the Hearts in the Scottish Cup final and had a runner going for 10, things kind of, some of these players probably were there a season too long in the water, but he was loyal with them. Uh, Avocat, Dick Avocat came in, quite a bit of money to spend. They brought in a lot of Dutch players and everything seemed rosy. But as you know in football, you're only as good as your last victory, aren't you? So, and as Rangers fans, sometimes, probably through the 90s, we were spoiled, weren't we? It wasn't a case of, we were, we probably were because we were, everything we touched kind of turned to trophies, uh, but nothing lasts forever, as you know. That's right, I think that's that's an apt way to put this whole period as well, like the the downturn was so rapid and so quick that it was just, I think it just shook everybody, but let's, we'll start in the summer of 1999, we'll pick up from there. I think a lot of people were we're going into that summer knowing it wasn't going to be the blitz it was the season before because the squad had kind of been built well. It was safe to say a couple of wee additions just to tidy the squad up, just to kind of a couple of loose ends that maybe maybe weren't brought in. Like obviously, I think Advocate had always admired the kind of right, the right back position. Had always been one he wanted to fill himself. I don't think he ever trusted Sergio Perini, and no. I think the the Stefan Givars project just hadn't worked, and he he looked for that kind of big striker and. He found, a, he found a striker in Utrecht, 29 years of age, by the name of Michael Moles. Yeah. That signing, before we get into, obviously, the way he starts, like, what was the reaction to that signing? Because when you look at it, on paper, Moles is 29. He's not a big name. I don't think he'd been capped for Holland at this point. I don't think he'd been capped for Holland at all. He's not playing for one of the big three in Holland. He's the only teams kind of linked with him are Rangers and Sheffield Wednesday. Like, on yeah. paper, what was the reaction to that? Was it a weird one? Did you, did you remember? Back then, I mean, obviously, internet wasn't what it is now, so you were just taking players for what you read in the media, and it was whatever they could find out about them. There wasn't so many, much football and TV research, and YouTube didn't probably have so many highlights as it does now. You can find a player from anywhere in the world just now, and you can watch his highlights for weeks and end. But I think it was just a case of, well, he's Dutch. The manager must know him. We've got a few Dutch players on the side. He was well quoted in the papers, technically very good. And I think when Michael came, 
I don't think even looked at his age at the time. He just think we need a striker when he came in. Because of what Stephen Givars has been doing, I mean, Stephen was a World Cup winner with France, but he didn't really hit the heights in the SPL for some reason. But Michael came in and I thought he started really well. I mean, you can see he had some totally different for players in Scotland, I think. It was just that initial touch and turn. He could turn a sixpence, Michael Moles. And he just seen, wow, this guy's phenomenal. It started when he came in and it just took everybody by surprise because we didn't know much about him, but you thought, this guy's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's that start he makes is unbelievable. Rangers win the first 11 games. What, for 11 of the first 13 games in the league. I mean, there's a game, there's games that stick out to you, Moles. He scores four against, I think it's St Mirren. I think yeah. somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. The game he has at Tynecastle as well, that turn. You know he's doing it. That's the thing with that. You look back and you know what he's going to do, but I don't think defenders could just keep up with him. But that was, it was just such a revelation, wasn't it? Just unbelievable. Just like, Rangers Rangers take a striker to heart if they start well. And yeah. I think this, even despite what we'll talk about in a few minutes, that early start, I think Moles is just, everybody just remembers that and how good he was in that early stage. I think Michael... I mean, he played with a smile on his face, which the fans appreciated. I think he realised because of where he came from in Holland. Not really. I'm not saying that Utrecht weren't a big club. They're obviously a decent sized club in Holland. Coming to a club besides the Rangers as support, known all over the world, he thought, "Wow!" And he's playing it in an Ibrox Stadium, fifty thousand, and he just took it to his heart, didn't he? And you see in his turns, he turned in a sixpence, but he didn't really move his feet. It was all in his hips and his knees. Yeah. And the defenders knew he was doing it, but they still couldn't stop him. He was that good, and doesn't matter who he put against, he done it too. And I, I just, I, he just thought it was a revelation, and he just, let's see, he was surprised, but it was a good surprise. And I think we took him in very, very quickly. But any striker that does score goals and they come into a football side, no Rangers or no whoever, supporters take him to heart because as soon as they score, you think. We've got something here that's the opposite. If we don't score, people start criticising very quickly. But then, it never really happened to Michael. No, it didn't. And he was just so good. And this, the team, the thing you catch is your eye about the, the opening start is the, just how solid the team is. I mean, you just look through 1-11, they're just so settled. Even like, obviously signing Darius Adamchuk, it just didn't work out at all. Obviously, it was a, a kind of mental health issue and things like that. Yeah. But you just look at that team, Klaus, Moore, Amaruso, Newman, Alberts, Van Bronckhorst, Ferguson, Neil McCann, Wallace, Johansson, Moles. I mean, it's just every bit of it's just sorted and it's just so it's just so solid in that team. That's what to do that in the space of 12 months, to come in, completely rip the team up, which is what he did, to then have a team as settled as that, full of talent. You just advocated how much credit does he deserve for doing that in the first 12 months of his time? He deserves a good, a good amount of credit, but so does the club at the time because they gave him money to spend. Without the money to spend, he wouldn't be able to bring them in. But obviously, because he brought in a lot of Dutch players, he probably knew if he mm-hmm. been in Holland and the Dutch players brought something we'd really never seen the technical side of the game, the way they the way they conducted themselves off the park as well. He also had the gritty the Scottish players like Barry Ferguson, Neil McCann. But he had the pace of Jonathan Johansson. So I think we had a bit of everything. And the dig with Craig Moore and Amoruso. And Stephen Kloss. Stephen seems forgot about, don't he? When we talk about Rangers keepers, we speak about Andy Gorham. Uh, 
God bless Andy. And we speak about McGregor as well, but Stefan seems forgotten about in this conversation. And you forget he won the Champions League mm-hmm. and he and he was an internationalist. And Stefan Kloss was a very, very good goalkeeper, probably world class at times. And he's forgotten about and I don't know that we talk about goalkeeper, but Stefan didn't let Rangers down at all. And he wasn't the biggest keeper either. No, he wasn't. I mean, it's, as you say, just that he had that pedigree of winning the European Cup as well, just have tremendous goalkeeper and I think yeah, I think that's fair I think he does go under the radar just because of the talent Rangers have had and McGregor obviously backed that up kind of recently as well but yeah you've got to mention how good a keeper Kloss was but the main focus of the advocate era was coming in was to improve in Europe and this was the opportunity Rangers had to qualify for the group stage of the Champions League obviously they couldn't the year before because of the they were in the UEFA Cup but they swat away the Finnish champions hacker 7-1 in aggregate again and moles with that it kind of does the splats and goes up and just finishes. I mean, amazing victory, but Rangers get the hardest draw possible out of that final qualifier. They're drawn against the t- colossal Italian giants, Parma. Parma had obviously been well-known at Ibrox the year before, put Rangers out of the UEFA Cup. This was not going to be an easy task, was it? No, Parma at the time are probably the team in Italy. But I know they've had their trouble since, but it had a lot of quality players on their side, a lot of Italian internationalists and they came to Ibrox with no fear whatsoever but sometimes when teams like that come to you, you relish opportunity to play against them, it's when you play against sides in Europe you think, especially supporters fans think, oh we haven't really heard much of them as you beat them and it's not always the case so you're probably better playing against a side you respect because mm-hmm. you go into the game thinking, if the players got up for it, just like some teams got up when they play Rangers, <coughs> they, they got up for it, so it's all it's a mindset but no, back thinking back then, you realise the tie, and I know the noise at Ibrox is always really good in European nights, but I remember back to these games and the noise is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Just the atmosphere is always electric at European games, but I remember that was phenomenal that night. Yeah, I mean, an unbelievable night. I think, obviously, European nights and Rangers go hand in hand now with what we've witnessed in the past kind of 12 months, but that game against Parma, the top side, I mean, we just run through some of the names, Gianluigi Buffon, Lillian Turan, Fabio Cannavaro, just to name a few, Dino Baggio's in there, uh, Enrico Chiesa, just a top, top team. Did Crespo well. play that night, no? I think Crespo did play, yeah. Right. I mean, you just look, that team is so deep of top talent who would go on and have wonderful careers, win World Cups. Was Veron on that side as well? See, was that after yeah. him? Nah, was was there, nah, Veron was there, Even there, just so many talented players and Rangers just take the game to them. An excellent start for Tony Vidmar, a wonderful finish then, oh, Reina. <laughs> Claudio Reina makes it to a memorable victory. A lot of people will say this is their favourite European night, and I think it's hard to disagree. I mean, to beat a team like that 2-0 in the first leg, what an achievement, what a game that was, what an atmosphere. Yeah, I remember Tony Vidmar's goal, and I think Tony will still remember that. I think he's still living off that goal. <laughs> no, but you mentioned him, and he, he was an unsung hero Rangers, Tony. Yeah. He gave a lot of good performances. He didn't come in for a lot of money. He came in as an unknown as well as Julian Internationalist, but he never let the side down. Tony Vidmar and Claudio Arena as well. He was a very technically gifted player, Claudio, and he would box to box. He's a type of player I liked and a type of player I think we could do with nowadays, but no, we had a we had a good team as well, to be fair, Scott. And I think it's good when you see your own team going toe-to-toe with teams like that. And you mentioned the Parma players. I mean, some of the players moved for millions of pounds years later and they've all went to bigger than better things. But that was a phenomenal team. And to beat a side like that when you look back, it is a, it is a good feat. I mean, it's, you can look back and say, that must be one of the best victories we had, if you look back. 
No, definitely. I mean, it's you, not just the fact that you're getting into the Champions League. It's the fact you're beating a top Italian team. Like it's not. It's it's not an easy feat. And obviously, the second leg in Italy, Rangers they lose one now, but you look back, it's an onslaught by Parma. Yeah. Parma. If Parma scored five or six, they would not have been. It would not have been unfair. But Rangers keep them out, and it's a memorable European result. And the draw for the group stage is as follows: Bayern Munich. Valencia and PSV Eindhoven. That's a draw and a half. And <laughs> see, when you get to these stages, I always think maybe because I'm a bit older now, but I always think I don't really care who you get. You're there and you just enjoy it. And what will be will be. And there's no point saying right we should finish third or maybe even sneak second. Just enjoy each game as it comes and take it as it is. There's no point looking ahead because when you do that, I think you lose sight of it. So I think the players probably just have to do that as well. But obviously the players get carried away seeing Bayern Munich because no matter who you are playing, Bayern Munich is a tasty tie, especially over Munich. Yeah, we need to obviously mention how good Valencia are at this point as well. Yeah. They go, they're under Hector Cooper. They reach two finals after this. They reach the final this season and then the season after where they play Bayern Munich. I mean, it's yeah. you're dealing with two of the best teams in Europe as well. And PSV, we'll get through the group. We'll get victories over PSV, home and away. Defeats to defeats defeats to Valencia, home and away, and a draw at home to Bayern Munich. I mean, Rangers give a massive shot at trying to get through here. It's so yeah. so tight. It's so tight. They they cover themselves in glory with terrific wins against PSV. I mean, I've spoke to people who say that PSV won. Although we're, we're recording this between the two PSV games yeah. in the group in the Champions League to get into the group stage, like beating PSV four one. I don't care what area you're in. That's an unbelievable result. Yeah, I mean, no matter when you play PSV, they're always they're a decent side, and they showed it last night. They're a decent side, and I remember back. I was saying, but old on you, but I remember back when we played them and Bobby Russell scored. Yeah. And even way back in the late seventies, I just remember these games. But I watched them back, and we've always had good ties against that side, especially PSV for some reason. And it seems to be that we just go toe to toe with each other. We don't. There's respect there, but there's a lot of good football played. It's not like one yeah. sat and wait. It's like you's come out, we come out. It was like a bit like last night. So no, and you like European games like that. You'd rather go into a European game, Scott, and go for it. Mm-hmm. and try and get a victory because at the end of the day it's a one-off match rather than maybe lose but think we didn't put enough into that game do you know that way I'd rather get beat put in hands of effort than sitting back expecting something to happen and Rangers done that under Dick Avocat I have to say because we had the players it was just <coughs> sometimes we didn't get the luck Aye and again you talk about the last game of this group Rangers go to Munich and all they need to do is avoid defeat and they're through to the last sixteen, and you look at that. You look at this group, and you think, how how are Rangers even close to getting through? But they all all they need to do is avoid defeat in Munich, and they give an unbelievable effort. I mean, it's a one of the one of our the best Rangers performances. I think that doesn't end in some sort of result. But obviously, the games remembered for the the collision with Oliver Kahn and Michael Moles that stops this unbelievable player from continuing that run and it's just it's so unfortunate I I, I know we've obviously see, we've seen it so many yeah. times and it's just so hard to watch isn't it it's just it's it's hard to watch obviously because you know the physical how bad it's physical for him but mentally yeah. Moles was never the same after this no he wasn't he lost a wee bit and I think he was that himself he's turning and stuff because that was his strength but it was just it was just so sad because at that age, he probably hit his peak with us, mm-hmm. and he was phenomenal, and that just stopped him right in his tracks. 
we gave him a, he, he worked so hard to come back, but mentally and physically, it was never the same. But I will say that night against Bayern Munich, Barry Ferguson was the best player in the yeah. park by a country mile. And, he stood, and, I, and I said by if Barry Ferguson could have done that every week, he'd have went to a bigger club than Blackburn or Birmingham down in England because yeah. he was phenomenal that night. He stood out and that Bayern Munich team had a lot of German World Cup winners in it and Ferguson never looked out of place at all. And Rangers were very unlucky. Probably that injury, because when that happened, I think you've seen the short Rangers players as well. A lot of them yeah. kind of went a wee bit of what's happened here. And do you know what I mean? I could have stepped back in that because he was a talisman, Moles, wasn't he? You yeah. and him up front were always likely to grab one. And as soon as that happened, it was like basically they, they were shell shocked. Yeah, I mean, it, as you say, it's just it's so unlucky. It's, I mean, Thomas Strunz were a penalty to put Rangers out again to the UEFA Cup. And again, it's another case of luck's just not on your side. And you get into that UEFA Cup against Borussia Dortmund, another top German team. 1-2-0 in the first leg at Ibrox. It's famous for that magnificent team goal that just highlights the, this season just how good Rangers are at playing football. The 1-2-0 in the first leg, lose 2-0 in Dortmund and go out in penalties. I mean, what a crushing result. What a- yeah, I know. It's, it's, as I say, sometimes we, we just don't get a lock and I'm more fan of penalties against German teams. I don't think many people <laughs> no, are. No, no, no. We just don't seem to have the luck at times and I know... Some other teams in Scottish football don't want us to have that luck. But when you look back at these performances, Dortmund, you said Dortmund were a very good side as well. A lot of these teams back then, I know they're good sides now, but when you look back, these sides were really good. I know you watch the English media and Sky, and it's like England teams and Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, stuff like that. But foreign sides were really good back then. Spanish teams, Italian teams, German teams, they hold a lot of good players because... There was money involved in football, but not as much as there is now, yeah. as in taking all the players maybe the one or two leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a valiant effort in Europe, and that's it shows you just I think a lot of Rangers fans were obviously gutted that they didn't go further, but you look at that the team Rangers have come up against and held themselves well. I think like PSV, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, it just gives you confidence that this is the start of something, and again. It's a valiant effort against top teams. But in the in domestic front, Rangers are flying in the league and look to be in course for a second straight title win. 22 games, Rangers remain unbeaten and won the league with 22 po- 21 points. Sorry, yeah. Celtic just never really get going under Barnes and Dunglish. That's obviously a subject we've covered in a different show. But that whole season in the league, Rangers were just flying. The only bad point was the obviously the League Cup defeat to Aberdeen which done yeah. which killed a chance of a back-to-back treble but in the league Rangers were absolutely dominant we were and I think that at that time we were playing really consistent and the boys knew how to get results in the in the Premier League and there wasn't many teams then because Celtic were feeling really bad at that time under Kenny Douglas and John Barnes and they were faltering and Rangers players knew that. So that even they, they knew they could afford maybe to lose one or two whenever, but they, they knew they did because Celtic were going to catch us. And sometimes when you know get somebody chasing your coattails, it can turn out to be a bad thing, as we've seen the following season, you know that way. But uh, I think we were comfortable. And sometimes maybe we were just too comfortable. I think that's it. I think that's it in a, a nutshell. When that whole season is just dominant and it ends with obviously the the Orangey Day Cup final yeah. it's Hamden it's 
you look at the sea of orange there, it's obviously a, a tribute to Advocat. And, but at that point, I mean, that, they won 4 0 in that cup final and absolutely batter Aberdeen. And yeah. Dick Advocat's reputation at the end of that summer is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he stalks as high as it can ever be, can't it? Yeah. And and you maybe you, think, you look back and think maybe that's where they should have just said, I'll go elsewhere. But he stuck around. We were all looking forward to the following season. But as football, it twists and turns. And that's, I suppose, in a way, that's why we love football because we don't know what's going to happen season yeah. to season. Like, it's not great for the, the heart and the mind, but when you're a fan, you take the good and the bad, don't you? And sometimes the good outweighs the bad, sometimes it doesn't. But that season, we won the league very, very comfortable. And the Dutch players on the side, the Scottish players, and the, all the other rest of the boys, they couldn't have done anything. They couldn't have done anything any better because Europe were just unlucky. But I think the Michael Moles injury left a mark in some of them. Mm-hmm. But I did think one or two of the players maybe had a peak as well. Yeah, I mean, it's you look at it. I mean, there is this thing of the first two seasons are just everything's rosy. There's no talk of dressing room discontent. There's it's a really settled side. It is. I mean, as we mentioned there we went through the team and we just saw how how settled it was. Again, you, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Do, does this team, can this team go on and build a, a dominant time? That's obviously a spots and maybes, but Celtic get their act together over the summer. They bring in Martin O'Neill from Leicester. Was there, although Rangers are dom- Rangers are 21 points clear of Celtic, was there a, was there a, a worry about Celtic bringing in O'Neill? Was he obviously done well at Leicester? Was there a kind of, Slight doubt that oh Celtic could be back here and spend the money in the likes of Sutton, Hearts, and Thompson. Celtic did get their act together over the summer and they were obviously looking to to end this dominance of I think when I'm thinking back, obviously it was a long time ago, thinking back, you thought, well, they're going to improve. They can't get any, really get any worse, can they? They're going to improve with the manager they brought in, the players they brought in. But what I think it done well was bringing in British players, base players and bringing in some players who maybe were discredited at other clubs mm-hmm. so who had a point to prove maybe like Chris Sutton like Steve Guppy players like that John yeah. Hartson came to Rangers for the medical went over the city so he had a point to prove that. he had a point to prove as well so sometimes players who have been discredited or are at a club and they're not getting game time or the fans are on their back when they move somewhere doesn't matter where you go to you want to prove people are wrong and I think he had a good harmony in the Celtic dressing room and for some reason when they started playing well and winning games our players I don't know if they felt the pressure and they just couldn't hack it I don't know what happened but we didn't see the same settled side the following season and that leads to obviously what we're going to talk about the the splurge in the summer of 2000 in the transfer front that you look back and wasn't needed I mean that squad is so settled there's again maybe a, maybe a right back and a, a centre half just for a bit of cover yeah you look at the early stages, early signings, Alan Johnson in a free makes a bit of sense. Paul Ritchie in a free, young centre-back, makes sense. Kenny Miller, hottest talent in Scotland, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Paul Ritchie, again, we've touched on that deal, was just mind-blowing how that happens. Buy him yeah. in, then sell him. I don't get it, but again, no. that's... Peter Lovenkrantz, a youngster for Denmark. Rangers have a fascination with Danish players, makes sense. Fernando Rickson from Altmar, Again, a right back makes a bit of sense. Bert Conterman from Feyenoord for five million. Now, and this looks, is Bert. yeah, 
an enigma. And what Advocat goes on to do is he changes his team to suit two players that yeah. he brings in and he spends a lot of money on, he has to play them. But he's, he's got that really settled 4 4 2, but he then needs to go, to, he then goes to a 3 5 2 to fit them all in. I mean, this hasn't, this to me just, is it overconfidence? Is it thinking, yeah, I've, I've, I've achieved everything I've done, I've won five out of six trophies, I've improved as in Europe, but this is, I need to take this next step that he didn't need to. I mean, you can, you can talk about all you want, and this is where Murray deserves criticism as well because Murray should have been saying, and we'll go on about this all season. Murray should have been saying, Dick, you've got a settled squad. You do not need to spend all this money in players that in players you don't need." Yeah, I think rightly so, but obviously I think Dick had a lot of say when it went on at Rangers at that time. And yeah, what footballs like nowadays more more involved. With, You've got a side looking at players, but back then I think the advocate wanted to put his head right. I want him bring him in, and you were you're probably right. We probably signed players we didn't need. Young players are fine because you can mould them into the side and they can I mean, be there for yeah. two or Kenny, Kenny Miller, for example, makes a lot of sense bringing in the, I best, thought Kenny, the best player in Scotland. He scored was it four or five against the man? Yeah, he scored five. Yeah, and and wrapped Rangers and Celtic to bats the season before, perhaps. I thought he was underused. Oh, Dick advocate gets him so wrong. Yeah, and because Kenny's very raw at that point, I mean, Kenny Miller never had Kenny Miller's game was totally different from what Dick Affergat's game was like. Yeah, we wanted to play. Was that the season they brought in Colin Hendry as well? No, that was two seasons before. That's two seasons before because yeah. I know Colin, when Colin came in, we all know how good a player Colin was. Sorry if going off the subject, but Colin never fitted Dick's game. No, he that's didn't. why that's why he wasn't there for so long because Colin Hendry was just a big no nonsense defender. Throwing his body in front of shots, throwing his head everywhere, but he probably struggled to pass any more than ten yards. But so that's the thing. He didn't fit in a cat's philosophy of football. Yeah, and you look at Cornerman and Rexon, and they clearly do, and that's the thing. But Cornerman's a ball playing. Cornerman's a in the Euro two thousand squad for Holland to reach yeah. the semi final. He's no, he's he's not a bad player. He isn't a bad player, but the job he had to do, the job he was tasked with at Rangers was not his strength. He was not a no-nonsense defender like you say a Colin Henry was and Amaruso was. He was... No. And Dick Agvacat was so hesitant to drop him even when he was playing poorly. Like, early stages of that season, Rangers, they won the first four league games. Everything looks good. Group stage qualification secured again. They beat Kaunas in her folder. And everything's smooth. But across the city, everything's smooth as well. And that's... Yeah. The 27th of August, the first old firm of the season, gets nicely poised, two teams and we're 100% records. And what happens after that? Celtic absolutely destroy Rangers. Is that a 6 2 game? That's a 6 2 game, yeah. Billy, Billy Dodds scored, didn't he? Billy Dodds came in again. Billy Dodds had come in the season before, makes a lot of sense, a goal scorer. But Celtic absolutely destroy Rangers in that first yeah, half. Yeah. Even the I point. think it was just a physicality of the Celtic team. We couldn't handle Hearts and certain Larson's movement. Cornerman was all over the place. And Dick, uh, sorry, Bert was a very, very technically gifted footballer. Yeah. If he had time on the ball. But in Scotland, sometimes you don't get that. And he struggled with the pace and he struggled with the physical side of it. And I think you were right with that. You didn't know where to play me because he got shoved into midfield at times or he played in the back. And... We were remembered as enigma because everybody remembers a goal we scored against Celtic, don't they? Hand in the strike. <laughs> but you remember probably more things he didn't do. But he was a very good footballer. He just never fitted Scottish football. 
No, it, it didn't fit Scottish football. And again, Rickson, Fernando Rickson, God bless him, he's a warrior. But this this game, he is an absolute disaster. Bobby Peter runs rings around him. Again, 23 minutes in, he has to come off because he's getting such a hard time. Celtic embarrassed Rangers that day. Yeah, and totally. again, you just look at that, like three months before that, the thought of that happening was inconceivable because the two teams are so, there's such a big gap there is a gap. We talk about this gap yeah. that we've talked about for years that or Celtic are so far clear of Rangers. Rangers were in front of Celtic, not just financially, but on the park as well. They, they just they knew how to beat them. Yeah. They knew how to get the better of them under Advocat the first two years, apart from obviously the, the 5 1 game in the 98 season. Again, as a learning curve for Advocat because he, he gets told after that. We spoke about that last week. He gets told after that game, whatever you do, do not open up. When you, if you're losing the game, your priorities not make it worse. Yeah. Advocate learned from that, and to be fair, I don't think he lost another game to Celtic from until this. Yeah, but it's just this changing the system, changing a changing a winning formula to fit two players in, and it just makes no sense. And I think again, he, he was a, he was a stubborn manager, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think and, when somebody told him he'd do one thing, he would do the opposite. Not because maybe he wanted to do it, just because to show them he was in charge, he's the boss, and. Fernando, I thought when he first came in, he was it wasn't great. He was still a young guy. He was learning the game. He didn't he play a lot in Dutch football. I think he came from it was Altman he came yeah. from. And you could see he was raw, but you could see he wanted to learn. You could see he was rash at times and he died then, but he was willing to learn the game, which Shelman against Celtic at Celtic Park isn't the greatest game to ever put into your first. First game, Bert was opposite. Bert knew how to play football. We just, like I said, they never suited Scottish football. Never, but yeah. I think after that, we should have learned. But for some reason, he started sticking to his guns and they started kind of blaming the players more than themselves. Yeah, and I think it's that thing as well. I mean, we're touching this at the end of Advocates' run, but that stubborn nature that a lot of Dutch managers, you see it, Van Gaal's famous for it. I think to a degree Van Bronckhorst does as well. I think he's if he knows yeah. his plan, he sticks to it. But that was a obviously a kind of a humbling. I think it was safe to say. I think from I think from that point on, it was like oh, no matter how good it is, it can always go downhill quickly. Yeah. And that was exactly what happened that day. But into Europe, the draw Rangers got in the Champions League was a lot sounded a lot better in paper. You've got Galatasaray, Monaco, and Stumgratz. It isn't Bayern Munich, Valencia and PSV. So I think there was a lot of confidence coming into that group that Rangers would get out of it. Yeah, I mean, you look back and you think like, three teams we, we probably can at least get victories at home or even a, a draw against one or two away. But like I said, Alan, no game in Europe's easy and you have to take every game as it comes. And I think we struggled we struggled and we failed to qualify. Uh, and it starts so well that 5-0 win over Sturm Graz the first game is just so it's easy street and the second game I want to touch on the 1-0 win in Monaco Advocat again the ta- the master tactician although he's in the league it's, it goes downhill he gets that yeah. spot on that night plays two guys a sweeper and outclasses Monaco Van Bronckhorst scores a winning goal and re- at six points after two games Rangers are Rangers should be through at that point because yeah. it's yeah. and you're thinking, oh, you need to probably another one, and you're through. And two points for your final four group games defeats to Galatasaray and Sturm Graz. Again, Sturm Graz completely tra- changed from the first game. 
and Rangers are out. Rangers, they're back. Yeah. They're in. They're third in UEFA Cup. They get into UEFA Cup, but they go out to Kaiserslautern after that. What went wrong in that European run after that? Such a convincing start to obviously then go out, then not qualify for the last sixteen, but then go out to a Kaiserslautern team who were nowhere near as good as the Dortmund and Bayern Munich team of the season before. I just think we we just failed to turn up and looking back. I don't know if the confidence went, I don't know if it was shot, I don't know if it was problem started behind the scenes, but the players never seemed as together as they did the previous season. So I don't know if it started after, when you say we won the first two games, you think another victory, <coughs> even two draws, were through here. Yeah. But he finished third and I don't know what happened. We've been two guys and a guy, and I put it Rangers who was a very good footballer, technically really good. But he's very harshly treated by Avocat as well. I think there's a lot of players at Rangers who come out and say they enjoyed it at the club, but they didn't know one week if a manager was playing them or not. I think he could play one week a game, play money match, and then for a week not even been in the squad. Do you know that way? Because I think that's the way it worked. He had his favourites, like most managers do, don't get me wrong, most managers do have their favourites. But I think Avocat probably let his favourites know who were his favourites, and then other players, if he wanted you to play, he would speak to you. If he didn't want you to play, he wasn't maybe one of these guys who would probably know he was, he was old school. Maybe that's the way managers were back then. It's not great, but sometimes football is a thick skin. I think they had it back then more than they do now. But I just think the club as a whole was going through a period we didn't want to go through. But you've seen the confidence, even in supporters, but you felt it in the stadium. We weren't as confident getting into games as we probably previously were. Yeah, I mean... That's it in a nutshell, and we'll touch a bit in the, the next few minutes about the, the split in the dressing room and certain kind of off-field decisions that would have an impact on the morale in the dressing room. But that Celtic defeat was a shock to the system, and Murray and Advocate were not going to... The best way to calm down a, a bad support is throw money at it. Rangers go and spend £4 million on a Champions League winner in Ronald De Boer. I mean... A top class player. I mean, that signing was a massive sign, a massive statement. And it was the not only was it the classic Murray solution of like if if the team's not playing well, I'll buy a new player and I'll get into the fans' good books that way. Yeah. But it's a statement of signing a player like De Boer. I mean, De Boer is a top class talent. I mean, maybe maybe fair to say his best days are behind him at this point, but he's still got he's still Ronald De Boer. He's still got the talent. Yeah, I mean, on. Certain games you watch back around the boot and you think he's a different level compared to everybody else. But again, you think you know, the boot in some games in Scotland, if it got tight or close or you bit aggression, he wasn't the one for like down and two. He was one for maybe down and two, but he was the one for all his socks down and his sleeves up and saying, I'm getting stuck in here. Maybe that's what Rickson had as a Dutch player compared different from the rest of them. Fernando was willing to stick in and Put a foot in and go toe to toe with somebody, whereas maybe Ronald would hide. And I must ask no disrespect to Ronald because he was a world class footballer, but that wasn't that wasn't his game. And I think maybe we had too many of that. And I, you, you mentioned about the spot. I don't know if the Dutch players all closed ranks. We don't really know. Did the other players go against them? I don't really know what happened, but <coughs> I just think in the team we lacked cohesion and we lacked togetherness, but we lacked a bit of physicality which we didn't seem to have missed the season before, but I don't know if it's because we were beating teams quite easily. We didn't have to have it, whereas teams started to work out at times what we were doing. They maybe get sat with the low blocks more and they maybe just get more physical and 
some of the Dutch guys, I'm not saying just them, but there's other players on the team, some of them didn't like that side of football. And if you don't like that side of football, you can't, there's no really any hiding place at a club of Rangers because you're going to be criticised by either the media, but especially by the fan base. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the Buah, he takes time to settle in, but I think he, under McLeish, Rangers get the absolute best out of yeah. the Buah under McLeish. But there's another signing that's potentially going to happen around about this time. Rangers are trying to sign a striker and look to sign a Welsh international from Coventry by the name of John Hartson. Now, this isn't with the benefit of hindsight. John Hartson did not fit Dick Advocate's system. That signing, even then, I wouldn't have understood what he no. was... What that Dick Ad, When you think about Dick Advocate's way of playing, John Hartson does not fit that. No, it doesn't because he's just a big target man who... Yeah, who can score goals, but he's not... He's not giving you a, he's a, he's not giving you the the work that Dick Advocat liked from his strikers. That's why he liked Wallace so much because Wallace was, yeah. could score goals and but he could put in a hell of a shift for you. Yeah, and John Hartson was like that. And, you, and I know what you're saying about off field stuff, but he's he never. I didn't go for. That. I didn't understand that one myself. Uh, but we can see what he done, and I think that's maybe where he's getting a wee chip on his shoulder where he, he always. Maybe talks about Rangers in a bad way just because he came from Eddie Coney Field. Did he feel it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, it. that's the there's there's many reports that he, there was other issues there, but I think if I mean we, we talked about it last week with Daniel Prodan, if Rangers wanted to do the deal, Rangers would have done it. Something changed. Again, that's pure speculation. I've never heard anything confirmed, but John Hartson didn't become a Rangers player. Again, I think a lot of Rangers fans with the benefit of hindsight will be delighted about that. Goes on to Celtic and as a very effective player for Celtic, he fits that Anil system brilliantly. He's, yeah, he does, yeah. Anil, didn't, Anil had his workhorses in Larson and Sutton. Hartson was the guy there just to finish finish the goals. Again, he fits at that system. He didn't fit Rangers' system at that no. point. So that signing to me made no sense. But Murray had in his head that he wanted a striker. He was got this nonsense thing about for every £5 Celtic spend, we'll spend a tenner. Yeah, the, the statement has come back and bit him in the bottom a few times. Yeah. But it, it, to, I mean, to be fair to him, I mean, we've called him a bravado merchant many times in this show and we'll do it in the future. But, I mean, he does put his money where his mouth is. He does, I mean, Celtic spent six million on Chris Sutton that summer. And Rangers go and spend 12 million on a striker. Now, contrary to popular belief, this wasn't, it wasn't always going to be Tori Andrew Flo. It was actually going to be Raul Camudo, who was going to come in from Spain, an Espanol, very effective yeah. striker in La Liga. He then failed the medical. I just find it weird how medicals are now a thing when they weren't two years ago. <laughs> yeah. But again, this this thing of the Rangers need a striker at this point. They the probably, don't they probably don't, but I think either try to G up the dressing room or try to G up, G up the support. And the last side they're trying to make a statement. They're trying to make a statement, yeah. And uh, as you say, I think the league's by at this point. I think yeah. three def- three home defeats in a row. If I'm surprised, I cat. I don't think Murray was ever going to sack him at this point because obviously he had the he had the he had the morale of the the two seasons before. He, people could still say, oh, but he done it two years ago. This is just a blip, and Celtic yeah. have just that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. But three home defeats in a row, you know as well as I do, fans have been for blood after that. So. Well, what I always said that, didn't it? You're only three defeats away from Yeah. But so, Rangers go to Chelsea. David Murray goes to Chelsea and they are chairman at the time, Ken Bates, and offers £12 million for Tory Andrew Flo. Now, I'm 
Ken, if I'm Ken Bates, as effective a player as Tori Andrew Flo is, I'm rubbing my hands at that because, and that's to me again, that's just out of control nature with the two advocate and Murray and yeah. we'll touching this. Explain to me who's telling Dick Advocat and David Murray that this guy's going to be worth twelve million pounds. He's a very good player. Tori Andrew Flo is a terrific striker. In two thousand, you're not paying twelve million pounds for Tori Andrew Flo. That's just madness. No, yeah, maybe nowadays because football's just off his scale transfer wise, but back then no, but I think let's see Murray was just I don't know if he's ego talking. That's what David Murray was like. And he thought Chelsea have probably said Ken Bates have probably pulled a price out there and say he's like, we'll need this for him. Because he wasn't a first team regular at Chelsea. No, he was it, 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 was, it was the guy it would it wasn't a guy that would start it wouldn't start every week for Chelsea. He would come on he scored goals but he mainly come off the bench for Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just madness. It's just... And if you look back at Tory, he wasn't the best footballer, was he? Footballer. And I don't know, yeah, he was a big, tall lad and wasn't the best in there for being a big, tall lad. He wasn't the best in there. He wasn't the best in there. He was a good player. He was a good, yeah. technically good player and he could finish. But... I just thought, but he's that one who probably didn't fit Avocat system no. or obviously Scottish football. Because I think with Chelsea, it's totally different down there. You get a bit more time in the ball. When you're playing against better players, you get more time. I know that sounds kind of cliche, but you do get more time. But up in Scotland, you don't get that time. And I think he just found it difficult to, one, start scoring goals and two, to find his rhythm. And he's a, he always seemed like a quiet lad, and but he seemed like a confidence person. If his confidence wasn't high, I think that affected him. And it's not just that as well. When I, I, I agree with you and what you're saying, but for £12 million in Scotland, you need to be at it every game. You need to be Brian Loudrop, Paul Gascoigne rolled into you yeah. do because yeah. that's just oh. the that's the yeah. expectations. Rangers they've never spent twelve million pounds again, not even close to it. No. Do you know what I mean? Like that's it's just this pressure that Flo could never it could be it was I mean, it did do okay. It wasn't brilliant. I think it had a goal every two games. He did have yeah. a good run, but it it'll be remembered as a flop and that's unfair on him because no matter how good he did, he was never going to live up to that hype that was put on him unfairly. But you said he's brought in at a time where he probably was unfair on him because mm-hmm. the league was probably gone. We don't know what was going on behind the scenes and he came in with a pressure, £12 million for a Scottish, coming in the Scottish leagues, a lot, a lot of money and the press in Scotland will just be all over him. Rangers fans expecting two, three goals a game at that price. Do you know what I mean? Some people expect him to just score constantly. And then you get fans from other sides just giving it out if he doesn't score. So there's a lot of pressure on the boy. And like I said earlier, like, he just seemed, he couldn't hack. He was a quiet lad and he just, he, 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 he gave all he, all he could give in games, but it just, we just didn't shoot him, he didn't shoot us. Yeah, and that was, it was unfortunate. But again, it's just this out of control spending from, Murray, an advocate, but that we'll touch on again, I'm sure, in the next few minutes. But there's dressing room problems at this point, and that's unthinkable six months previous. But there is a there is clicks in the dressing room. There's there's the famous story, and this is this I have been validated that this is true. That there was a Christmas night out, an advocate sent all the non-Dutch players home and stayed with the rest of the Dutch players. That's bad for team morale. That's I mean that's I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's advocate. I don't know what he's doing there. I, I really don't. I just think, yeah. What, what do you do? What What do you gain out of that? 
Like, what do you, you're looking to facilitate this quick. You're, you don't ostracise your, no. your other team, your other players in your team. To, now, again, we've heard stories, I think a lot of the Dutch players loved their time at Ibrox and I think they've made a lot of friends yeah. with Scottish players. But again, why was Advocat trying to do that? That to me makes no sense. And again, that's where I think Murray, if Murray was aware of that, he should have been saying, you need to get this under control. I think it's wrong. I think when you're nearly eight players straight away and you're alienating guys who you're expecting to run through a brick wall for you a weekend yeah. or a Wednesday or whatever, Tuesday night. Also, the Dutch players maybe looking back with probably thought we should have left as well. Why did, but some of them probably were scared of him and didn't want to leave because I think he had that authority, didn't he? Was he, called, he was called a little general, if I remember yeah. rightly. So I think he had that authority and I think, well, if I leave, I keep out the team and I think it was wrong, but I think he maybe knew his tenure wasn't going to last much longer and he just started to put his, use his power more. But it was wrong because there was a lot of players in the dressing room who probably got on, but he maybe <coughs> put a, a divide there that shouldn't have been there. But when things like that happen behind the scenes, then things in the park are never going to work, are they? No, and it's that thing as well. I mean, if you're doing things like that, you can be the, the best tactician in the world, but you have to be a good man manager. And that's what... Walter Smith was so good at was everybody works for each other. You don't you don't have that. Now Advocate was a great tactician. He was, he was and he's proved that later on in his career, but again he just didn't sort out wee problems in the dressing room. He didn't take that player aside. I mean there's Billy Dodge Billy Dodge has come out and said recently he would walk by him and the yeah. he would talk away to him, he would talk away, like talk about family and things like that, but Come Saturday, he was nowhere near the team sheet, and he would never under—he would never understand why he wouldn't. That wasn't explained, and then again, he would bring him out the cold. I mean, this is the summer. This is the season he brings in Marco Negri. Now, yeah. a lot of people would have thought Marco Negri was gone, and just brings him in. There was no, there's no explanation for that other than throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. But again, you've just not got that cohesion. You're trying to. I don't know what he's doing. I, I still will never ever understand that why he did that, and then obviously taking the captaincy away from Amoruso. Now, I think Lorenzo Amoruso is an unbelievable presence in any dressing room. Was that justified to take the captaincy off him? And then put the pressure on a young Barry Ferguson. The Barry Ferguson we know is ahead of, was ahead of his time in terms yeah. of being a leader and things like that, but that at the time, just, I, just it was weird. I think back then, remember back then, I think at the time, the, some of the fans were probably happy with that decision. I think Lorenzo's games were up and down. Mm-hmm. I think he had made a few errors in Europe and in the league and Barry was a young Scottish boy coming through Rangers fans so I think when they did change the caps and they gave it to Barry a lot of people thought well Barry's a captain we've got one of our own leading the club uh, and I think the fans probably side a bit more than a lot of people thought I think Renzo I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an advocate for big cap, captaincy things I think everybody should be a captain on the side but I think Lorenzo actually played better without the captain. See, but captain's on on him because I think he organised things just the same. But I think he should have done it in a more dignified way. Mm-hmm. I think that was the issue. And I think Lorenzo showed what he could bring to the side. But Barry handled it well. But Barry did get involved in dressing room squabbles himself later on in his career. But though Barry handled it well, especially at a young age, because obviously his brother was at Rangers and 
he's been at Rangers since he was a kid and he came through and there's a lot of expectation on him, but to be given a captaincy at that age, he must have thought, wow, but he took it in his stride like Barry Ferguson usually did when he was playing with Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Fergus at the time it was this like it was a strange decision, but at the, I mean it was it was a good decision. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I don't know if it was. I think Ferguson was natural. I, th- I don't think that I don't think leadership was something you had to teach Barry Ferguson. Again, it would go on to be kind of something he would be too. Even when he wasn't captain, he was kind of getting his like yeah. later on he was getting involved in things. But again, that's for that's for other shows. But re- I mean, we look at this season as a total disaster, and it is. I mean, there's. Rangers don't win a trophy. They go out to Celtic and they derided in the cups. They beat Celtic five one. Again, that was a there was a thirteen game league unbeaten run in there. But again, Celtic go to Celtic won at Parkhead. Alan Thompson scores. It was just going disastrously wrong despite this obviously big result against Celtic at Ibrox. You remember that five one game? Slightly, yeah. That was four four scored, didn't he? Yeah, four scored a backfield. Aye, aye. and I, but I think. You know, you always like to beat your rivals, but I think we all knew even then the season wasn't great. I think it was just a case of let's get through this season and see what happens the following season. But I do think, you know, looking back then, the media were picking up on it. Some fans were as well. I, I think we were spending money. You probably at a time when you're younger and you think, like, we've always got money to spend, but looking back, you think we were reckless. We're spending money at times we didn't we didn't have to, and probably money we didn't have as well. Yeah, I mean that there's nothing that says that more than what I'm going to talk about here, and I'll get your thoughts on this. Rangers spend one million pounds on a, a left midfielder from Watford called Marcus Gale, plays him four times and doesn't fancy him, and he's out in the cold. Now, Rangers used thirty six players in that season. That to me is unbelievable. That is, that should never. That's three. That you could put three teams out in a three subs. Yeah. That is nuts. That's absolutely nuts, and that's that's recklessness. That's just bad management, in my opinion. Again, that's left midfield thing. Again, he signs for base Fernandez and loan from March. Now, I want to just run through some of the names that played in left midfield that season, and you can answer. You can tell me if signing two left midfielders was necessary at that late in the season for a £1 million and a loan player. Neil McCann, George Alberts, Peter Lovenkrantz, Kenny Miller, Alan Johnson, they all played in that left midfield position. Why did he need two left midfielders and why is your chairman not saying, Dick, you've got all these players, work with what you've got? I think, he, like I said, he had an ego thing, Dick Abacat. I think David Murray had one as well. But Spain, Marcus Gill came in. I remember when we signed him, the boy looked totally thrilled. It's like, I'm joining Rangers and I didn't expect this. But you see, they played four games and after that, he was like, we need to sell you now. And it's like, what's going on? And then you bring in the boy and loan. I don't know why that happened, but Alan Johnson was in there saying that Mr. Feynman because he was in and out the side and Alan had a bit of quality. George That's Alberts. relatively low risk. Alan Johnson signing was low risk. Yeah, he's transfer and he's a young player. That makes sense. Yeah. Signing a 29-year-old from Watford for £1 million for four games. That's it's not great business, no. Crazy. It's not great business sense. And that's, that's obviously on the, that's on, the, that's on the owners and whoever else was there. I don't know if Martin Beam was there at that time. I'm not sure, but... He was in the uh, back. I think he was in the background. The background I think yeah. it was. But yeah, yeah, you brought up something brilliant there. And that, that is a good point. Why is nobody in the in the boardroom or the scouting department going right? What? Why? 
I mean, there is a couple of people we'll talk about towards the end of the show who can have, at this point are saying like this is this is madness, this is out of control. Another signing that happened this season that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Rangers need a goalkeeper. I remember Stefan Klaus got injured. Yeah. Right. Rangers spend of two million pounds to spend on a goalkeeper, and they spend it on a player by the name of Jasper Christensen. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, big tall right. guy. Big tall guy. Yeah, Jasper Christensen. You would think signing a goalkeeper. He's played many years in nets. He had nineteen career games and goals at that point, and it actually just transformed from a striker two years ago. What scout, what owner, what manager is looking at him and going? A player who has played nineteen games in his career in goals is the ideal solution to this problem. I think we have to look deeper at that one. I think that's I think that's a scout. I think that's a you scratch my bite, I scratch yours I because there's no way there's no way you bring something even back then. I remember thinking we never heard of this boy and then we, you said you're ready used to playing not against the lad, he just coming yeah, it's just a draw for him, but no, you don't spend twenty power in a keeper. No, when you're just trying because Stephen Cross was unable at that time. But and one thing Scotland have is always good goalkeepers. Yeah. If you're telling me there isn't a goalkeeper in the SPL for a quarter of that money, who would have come in and been more effective than Jasper Christensen? Or bring something in loan like them with the left midfielder. Correct. I mean it's recklessness. It's just bad. It's just Two egos out of control. That's the that's probably the name of the show. Two egos just out. Just think, of control. just think they'll try to outdo each other. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think they'll try. I don't think they'll try to outdo each other. I think that I think it's just a case of the two of them are just so in their own heads. They're not looking at the the bigger picture. That that's the problem. They're not. I mean, the end of that season's trophyless, and again, should Advocate have been shown the door? Would Advocate yes. be shown the door now? If that if that has happened, if you're so far in front now, Celtic are brilliant that season. I don't Celtic were a treble, yeah. But Rangers are a head start. Rangers Rangers collapse completely. I think the mirror image was the year we get when Gerard won the league and Celtic collapsed. I think that's quite a mirror image because they were that far ahead the season before, yeah. and that was the same as that season. Looking back, he probably should have, but he probably had a bit of credit in the bank because of the trophies before. But when you look back at the Celtic managers there and the Celtic team then, did they deserve that time? They probably never. But he's also Dick Advocate and you don't want, you don't want to say, right, I've, sl- I've sacked Dick Advocate because he's a well-known manager across Europe. But at a club of Rangers, spending all that money and winning not a lot, but winning nothing basically in that season, he should have been showing the door. But I think him and Murray had a good relationship and they probably didn't want to pull the trigger too quickly. And that's the thing as well, and we'll, we'll touch on why I think he keeps Advocat on. I think he's Advocat's at the centre of this new project, the, the Murray Park situation that we'll touch on in a few minutes. But the summer of 2001, the spending, this ridiculous spending comes to a halt. The bank are beginning to, at this point, the bank have took a bit of a, a share in the club. I think they're 9%, I think they've got at this point. Yep. Now, Murray's still got this open tap with the bank, he does, but this is the time for me where he needs to get everything under control. This is his la- This is his chance to sort everything out. He's got this ridiculous wage bill. They've spent all this money. What David Murray should have done, in my opinion, at this in this summer is when we need to scale everything back. We need to sell. And he does sell players. He sells Van Bronckhorst to Arsenal for about eight million. Alberts goes to Hamburg. Two guys at Blackburn. 
you get players in ridiculous wages. If you're going to have a, if you're going to have a couple of years where you need to cut the spending down, you need to cut it. You need to, you need to do it right. And yeah. we'll touch on that he doesn't do that. And this is where fans wondered what on earth is going on. You're seeing this, you're seeing this operating loss. I think it's this summer's thirty-one million. This man who's telling you I'll spend a tenner. I, the club will be supported by me. How now is there a thirty-one million loss and all this debt to the bank? And that's he, he, was, he was spending ten pound when we never really had five pound. Uh, it was just, it was trying to facilitate to get Rangers where they wanted to get them, which was never really going to happen because we were never going to win a European trophy because there was teams in Europe that could out buddies. We had to we needed a bit of luck, as we've seen last season when we only done it, but we needed a bit of luck. But you can't keep bringing players in and not letting anybody go. You mentioned 36 players played that season. But even spending wage on even spending money on transfer fees or bringing players in for free, the wage bill just kept getting higher and higher mm. and higher. And that and the outgoings became more than the incomings and it's you can't justify that and that's the reason the bank took control but when the bank took a state in the club and got involved that should be he should have been told then no more but it wasn't and we, we see now what's happened and David Murray's got a lot of he's got a lot of shoulder to, we've got a lot of blame to shoulder for what's eventually happened but this is where it all kind of started for me have a cat and Murray mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's it's out of control at this point I mean you go from a summer where you're spending 30 million. Now, no disrespect to the three players I'm going to mention here, but Rangers spend nothing. This I think it's a, well, three million pounds they spend in the summer. Claudio Canija, Christian Nellinger, and Russell Latapay. Now, Claudio Canija was a very effective player for Rangers, but can you imagine then looking back, you're having you've got two two out of these those three summers are just ridiculous spending. I mean, it's a new signing every day for two million quid. You're then you've lost the league to Celtic. You're behind to Celtic, I would say, for the first time under Murray. Celtic are favourites that season to win the league. Yep. That's the first that that'll be the that must be the first time under Murray that was the case. Yeah. You've gained 13 million pounds and you're spending less than three million to try and regain the league. Now, again, we know in hindsight it's a beautiful thing, but what are you saying in that summer? What is what's the what's the normal fan thinking at that point? Like How's this changed so quickly? That's what we're all asking. Where's the money went? What's happened? And we all wanted answers by then. But I think David Money controlled part of media, didn't he? As in a way, mm-hmm. he said stuff he believed him for so long, and we will never, we'll never get a full story from David Money, no matter what happens. But I think we weren't informed as we probably no more now, and we just thought, well, it's David Murray, Murray Holdings. We'll turn it around eventually, maybe just a blip. And as a football fan, these things shouldn't worry you, but I think because of what's happened in the past, we do, it does worry us. But by the end, it's just a case of, well, we'll, see, we'll ride this wave and see it through. But it did cause concerns. I think we spent $2 million on phone and we're buying players for less than that. So it was a worrying time because we went through always wanting to struggling. And it, you, look, you look, always fans always look on the part before they look behind the scenes. Because that's just a normal thing to do, and maybe not as much nowadays. We look all over, but back then it was like we were more worried about what was happening on the park than we were off the park. Yeah, and that's that. That's what a football fan should be. It should be about on the park. You shouldn't need to worry about what the balance sheet is. 
But again, this is why Murray, to me, this is unforgivable because he allowed that to happen. Yeah. And the summer obviously is dominated. There's, there's this new project, the the new training ground at Auchenhowie. It's opened on the 4th of July. Now, this was advocate, to be fair to him, come in and said, you, this needs to be, he'd obviously come from Holland, which we see Ajax with Magnificent Academy. Yeah. Holland's full of that coming in. And to be fair to him, he got it through. The name of the training centre, it should have been called anything other than what it was called. <laughs> yeah. Now, this, he tried to defend this in a press conference. I don't know if you've ever seen the press conference. He tried to defend it by saying other people told him to name it. To name a training centre after yourself, when you're when in the background, you've got all this, you've you've mismanaged the financial aspect of the club. He tried to say he paid for it. No, he didn't. The bank paid for it. Again, there's so many things wrong with this, in my opinion. I'm yeah. just there's you could have had a public vote to name the name the training centre. You could have named it after David Cooper, Bill Struth, Wally Waddle. The name, the last endless. There's so many legends of that club who deserve it named after them before. And even at the time, people thought this is this is an ego trip. That's an absolute yeah. ego trip. Why are you naming this symbol of an academy? That's what it was. It was perceived that this would bring the next generation yeah. through. Rangers had never done well with bringing young players through at that point. This was a new a new era. Any other name, other than what it was, but this stunk of just sheer. David Brent levels of self-indulgence. <laughs> yeah, it, was. it was, yeah. And just an ego. Do you think he wanted to just do it his legacy? He knew he knows what's happening behind the scenes. You know, he might not be there forever. And I thought if I'm naming that after myself, we can always look back and say, Well, I done this or I done I think, that. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's this. I gave you this. I gave you this. This has to be named after me because it's all me. Was yeah. it? No. If I look at if if it was a I mean Rangers trained in the Albion, they trained in the cricket grounds back back near at Bellahousen Park. There's a yeah. famous story of them having to cross the, the M77 to go over to Bellahousen Park. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's this is nothing to do. David Murray was there 13 years at this point. If David Murray thought this was a good idea, he would have done it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just such an ego trip. And especially if you look at the legends that club, that academy could have been named after. Oh, to then, so, many, so many. I mean, you see, so you put to a vote. You get so many names in there. Mm-hmm. And so you would. It's just, it stinks. Absolute stinks. But again, the club accounts are sitting at 20, uh, the debt's 24 million round at this point. It's hitting, it's hitting like a ton of bricks. And Murray, at this point, should have, he should have balanced the books. He should have went, that right, I need to come out to the fans and say, listen, the spending you've, we've had, it needs to stop. We've let it go too far. His solution to it is, again, this. I, I think it. This he plants the bomb. He plants this anchor in the club that just heads it towards destruction. Paul Baxendale Walker. Does that name ring a bell? You ever heard that name before? Dale Walker. Paul Baxendale Walker. Paul, bring me a fair name of no, the other one, no. Right. Paul Baxendale Walker was a tax advisor. Right. You might you might have heard his background in pornography as well. Oh, right, that chap, yeah. Yes. Yeah. This guy comes to the Murray group. He done a documentary, didn't he? Yes, he did a documentary, right. yeah. And I've that's that, just yeah. that is just the most that that's exactly what my problem with this whole thing is, is that people like that had a say in what happened at Rangers. Yeah. This 
this is the summer he does. This is the summer this all happens. Brings it through a an offshore scheme yep. called Employee Benefit Trust. It's a way to play players without income tax. Murray agrees to it, and in my opinion, plants a ticking time bomb. And that's yeah, it in I mean, a nutshell. I mean, that's doesn't matter what happens with, with the Rangers now. It's always going to be cashed up because we've done that and. That's all on David Murray. It's not on the club. It's not on the players. It's all on David Murray. At the end of the day, when you're a footballer, you don't care how you get paid as long as you get paid. And I'm not, your a, job. I'm not an expert in tax or net worths or anything like that. But if you are, if your business is failing, which it was, and it was failing off the park, and you've got this massive personal fortune, to just take like. I'm not. I'm. I i do not know if Murray. Murray never invested his own money, and that's fair enough. But never know. What? So what was this? Why? Why was this the one that they went with? Why was it? Let's bring an offshore tax avoidance system in, and let's do it that way. That will save his money. Obviously, he's done it because he one he thought he could get away with, it, two he thought he could stay at the club longer, or three. <laughs> He was making them save themselves a bit of money as well. I mean, David Murray never ever bought Rangers with his own money. He always no, came it's... through other schemes and he never put his own money in. And the club, he'd, by all accounts, he maybe borrowed money for the club to go into his own business and maybe lend, give it back in. But he never put his money into Rangers. That was never his get go for the start anyway. But David Murray was a, the catalyst in all this situation that happened at the club. But to ask people like you, you've mentioned, you laugh now, but back then you think, what the hell are you doing? Do you know that way? I mean, if the bank's involved with the club, they've got one party and you're going to an offshore scheme to pay wages, I think. Yeah. Why? To a, to a tax advisor who was a, who was a, porno, who was a pornographer <laughs> and was then struck off. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's so, it's it's caught, it's comedic. If you, if you weren't invested in this, you would think it was, a sitcom, you really would, and yeah. it's this just whole thing of the solution was fix it yourself, but no, we had to go to other ways of doing it. It yeah, couldn't yeah, just yeah, sit yeah. and go, I have got this wrong, I need to fix it. And they could have, and he absolutely could have, and his legacy would have been intact, yep. no matter how much he got it wrong. If he'd come in and sorted it himself, he would have probably got away with it, but no, he doesn't. Oh, he could have sorted it himself for the, for the fortune he made, but. Down other avenues and cutting costs here and there. I think if they're not properly, the fans would have appreciated them coming out and telling us fixing it properly, and then we wouldn't have had to go through the rigmarole we have. But he tried to do it a different way to hide the fact that we were struggling, and also, as he said, because there's probably some in it for himself as well, mm. probably money in it for himself. And that's the thing as well. Scottish football's changing as well. The Sky Deal's about to collapse on its backside. I mean, they've got the ridiculous idea of SPL TV. That's a yeah. that's a show in itself. How that was ever thought to be a good <laughs> idea, but yeah, when David Murray took over, Rangers could compete with Man United and Arsenal for wages. They yeah. could, they absolutely yeah. could. They did. Fast forward to the summer of two thousand and one, and that gap is now so wide the other way. Yeah. Rangers aren't at the table anymore. Rangers are Rangers and Celtic. Rangers Celtic problem are they're playing in a league that's not got the backing of England. And no. You can be the biggest club. Rangers and Celtic are two of the biggest clubs in the world, but their income is nothing. I mean, their income is nothing compared to small teams in England, for example, and the, the Premier no. League who make who get into the Premier League, and that's the problem. And Murray, again, 
he's this all this he's getting it wrong, but there's no other sources of income, and this is a problem. And going into that season, the financial hit was on was huge. I mean, getting out in the Champions League to Fenerbahce that was another massive big problem for the club at that point. Yeah, it's that was income we needed, but obviously at the time we just thought we're out of Champions League, it's not great, but. Looking back then, I think the media started to pick up on certain things, but we didn't realise how bad it was. And I think if you look back now, all different stuff, I research it. There was points you could probably guess, not guess, but there was telltale signs of what was happening. But it's not something you look for as a football fan, like I said earlier, because all you were interested in was three points on a Saturday again through a cup tie. You weren't interested in the finance situation because you thought you could trust the guys who the club had brought in to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as we say, the league starts, Rangers are unbeaten in their first eight league games, but then it's all, it all goes downhill, a 2-0 home defeat to Celtic, and you're already seven points behind after nine games, and it just this fear factor with Celtic that I think Advocat has in his later run that he just couldn't, he just couldn't beat them. Well, he couldn't, he couldn't work out Martin O'Neill, could he? No, he couldn't. Martin kind of had his number and... <coughs> It doesn't matter what he tried. Like I say, I think a lot of it came down to physicality. It's healthy to just bullied us. Mm-hmm. A lot of the games. I'm not saying they're technically a better football side, but they bullied us and the players, <coughs> were, the players were scared of them. I mm-hmm. don't know why, but they were. Yeah. It's like someone wanted to part thinking we'd lost the game already. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't do that if you're a Rangers player. Yeah. The final two signings of the Advocate either come in after this game. Michael Ball for £6.5 million and £2 million for Ajax forward shot Avaladze. Again, these are two, on paper, the, the excitement of Michael Ball was un, unbelievable. This was a future England captain at the time. He was a top talent, just yeah. very unlucky with injuries. Avaladze had obviously done it in Holland. Advocate knew him well. This felt, this felt at the time that, oh, the, there was only a, it was only a wee blip over the summer. There is actually money there. We just had to get it. Yeah. When you look back now, how, how all of a sudden is there eight and a half million quid to spend? And there isn't over the summer. I know, I know, I don't know where that came from, but I think just because of the name Michael Ball coming favourite and bringing in a fourth for Ajax, who, to be fair to Shorter, he's actually done really well at Rangers. Shorter, one of my favourite for money was brilliant uh, for Rangers. But you're right, I think just the name Michael Ball, and because we're spending that money again, we thought maybe we're getting back here, but we didn't look at a bigger picture. I don't, and I think that the club shot itself in the foot again, but I think the fan base just thought, this is great, we're getting players back and we're going to be back again, but that never happened. Yeah, and it just, it, it, it's ending, it's ending after this. The form improved about the 25th of November, Rangers go to Parkhead, 2-1 defeat, another defeat against Celtic, and again, Murray, I think Murray just got it, the, the incident, with, do you remember the incident with Advocat and Michael Ball, Ball getting subbed? Yeah. There was a big, yeah debate over the tunnel and it was it was just becoming crystal clear that not only had they lost the dressing room it just couldn't beat Celtic and that was no. that's all that matters you can be you can beat the other 10 teams 12 now every week if you then if, if you've great runs and then you're, you're beat the first time asking against Celtic you just you don't last and again Murray instead of just saying right it's over we need to end this he promote he gives him the director of football thing that yeah. doesn't exist instead of because Sack and Dick Advocat was saying this is my fault I got this wrong yeah he keeps him on as a he moves him upstairs 
it's decided between the Celtic and the PSG game that the that with this transition would take place. I'm, I'm hunting for a manager's. Ex- what was the thoughts of that when I, when it was announced that Advocate was going to go? Obviously, gets that famous result against PSG. Yeah. But it all ends. It's all coming to an end at this point. And what was the kind of reaction to that at the time? I think we thought, mate. I know personally, I thought he can't really last much longer. But moving him up the stairs, I still never seen why we were doing that. I know looking back, you're thinking and reading certain things because the Rangers knew just all out and about back then. You're thinking. Maybe it's a good move because he knows a lot of players all across Europe. Mm-hmm. He's very tactically usually astute, but he's a name that can bring people into the club. But I do think you see, I think it was just to save face for David Money. Absolutely, I, I, mean, I don't know if he didn't have the money to sack him either. I don't know if that was an issue. I think he would have found it. He would have found it some way, but he would have probably put more debt in the club. But again, we look at the the legacy. We'll close up the show with. Dick Advocat's legacy as Rangers manager, you split it into two parts. The first two years are about as good as you can get yeah. for a Rangers manager, but the last 18 months are just complete collapse. And yeah, that's it was, his legacy. That's it's it. a Jekyll and Hyde, wasn't it? Yes, it absolutely is. First two years, you kind of complain, but the last two years, you think back and think, does some of this stuff actually happen? Because... But you'll never get you'll never really get criticised for that because it's Dick Advocate, he's won so much, he's done so much, he's he's a world renowned football coach, tactician, director of football, he's been everywhere. And we'll always be remembered for winning the treble in his first season and having a Ranji day at Hamden and but uh, signing the players at Moles and Geo and but never and Arthur Newman. But he'll never be remembered for, unless you ask the Rangers fan to go, he'll never really be remembered in the media for what he did at Rangers that turned it sideways. You have to give Celtic a bit of respect, as in. Absolutely, yeah. They put a lot of pressure on him and they couldn't hack it. Mm-hmm. And that's it in a nutshell. That is that's Dick Advocate in a nutshell. The first two years is unbelievably good. This last 18 months are unbelievably bad. But again, we touch on the the last, the final point. This is. This is where the train starts its road to collision. Yeah. This is the financial. This is the last chance to stop derail that train, and Murray just doesn't do it. He makes it worse, and that's yeah, he does. In David Murray, I know everybody talks about other names in the fray, but David Murray has to be held accountable for this hundred percent. My book, I always thought he was egotistic and full of his own self-importance, but you thought, well, he's doing a good job, we were spending money, we were winning trophies, we nearly get 10, stuff like that, but you thought, nah, there's something not right here, and it came to fruition at the end, but it could have been stopped, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And that's it, that's it. In the next part of the Rangers journey, we will look at the, the next man to take the managerial hot seat to Ibrox, Alex McLeish takes over from Dick Advocat, and what follows is something similar, the first 18 months are legendary, the next few years are a bit different. But again, to Scott, thank you very much for joining me in this part of the journey. It's been no a pleasure. problem. Thank you very much for asking me on. I really enjoyed myself. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Stanley, when it's tuned in. And please follow us on the next part of the Rangers journey. Mm-hmm.